great. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would as we like to honor God's word and reading his word. You can look on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible. If you have your Bible, you can follow along in Romans 7. Uh, I'm going to read 15 to 25 out of the New Living Translation. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, I don't really understand myself for what I want to do or for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is the sin living in me that does it. There he mentions sin living in me again. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is a power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to, once again, the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Can somebody say amen? Praise God. The title of my message today is The Enemy Within. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would move in our midst, that you would move in our hearts today, God, that you would be glorified in this place, Lord. Father, that we would become more like you, that you would reveal more of who you are to us today during these next few minutes that we have together. We bless you. We pray that you would be glorified above all else in this place. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So if, you are, uh, if you've been here a while, you know that um, in my former life, I was a home builder for a season, for a while. And uh, because of that, I had the very huge blessing of being able to build a nice house in a golf course community. I was able to build it for a fraction of the price that it would have cost me to buy it because I was building it myself. And so very blessed to where we are. Uh, the, but when you live on a golf course, you, there are some hazards that come along with that. Um, we live on a dog leg and the side of my house that faces the tee box of that hole has gone through some serious carnage. Um, it has taken some damage. Uh, in fact, um, I've had a few broken windows on that side of the house, and consequently, no one has ever come to tell me they broke my windows. I just come home and see glass all over my yard. Uh, but we've, we've had to deal with that, and it's, it's been that way for a minute. And this past year, I committed to myself that I was going to fix these windows, and I was going to make sure they were taken care of and fixed, repaired, and and make it look nice. We're not on that side of the house much, so it's easy to, for that to be kind of out of sight, out of mind. But I determined that I was going to fix those windows. So they're going to put up a picture of the before of these windows before I fix them. As you can see, <laughs> no one can penetrate that cardboard with duct tape. No one. Okay. And because of my discipline and my incredible commitment to the things I say that I'm going to do, I end up doing them. Here is the after picture of my windows which is really just the picture flipped so it looks different. Um, I, I only say this this morning because I, I want to be a little bit transparent with you. Um, I am somebody that is uh, pretty disciplined by nature. It's kind of hardwired into my DNA. I like to do what I say I'm going to do. Uh, I believe in following through with what I say I'm going to do. And uh, it's one of those things when I take personality tests, it always comes out that I'm a pretty disciplined type of person, but I fail all the time. I fail with my commitments that I want to make all the time in my life. And I realize this is very superficial, but it goes a lot deeper than this too. 
And what I want to do today, in fact, before I get too far into this, I want you to do something that is, seems a little counterintuitive for church on a Sunday morning. But I want you to think about things in your life, areas in your life where you committed to something and you failed. Where you were determined whether you told somebody else or maybe you just told yourself, I'm going to do this and you didn't end up doing it. Um, I can give you a little bit of help. Uh, let's see, um, if you want to think about the, how many times you told yourself you're going to start eating better. Uh, I know me personally, I have, uh, I, I lost track how many times I said, I'm cutting sugar out of my life. No more sugar. And I went to three graduation parties yesterday and I had sugared all three of them. But that's just because I couldn't follow through. Maybe it's exercise. You know, maybe you bought an exercise bike and now it's a clothes rack in your bedroom. You know, maybe you've determined you're going to visit your grandparents more often. Or maybe you determined you're going to clean your car and you're going to keep, keep it clean on the inside. And you've just determined you're going to do that. Maybe you've determined you're going to get rid of social media because you've seen it just kind of messes with you sometimes. And you deleted all your social media apps only to reinstall them two days later. And maybe you've done that multiple times. And you've, just, you've committed to things that you just have not been able to follow through with in your life. And some of these things are definitely somewhat superficial. But what about the things where we've committed to that have been sin areas in our life? We're committed. If you're a Christian here today, you've no doubtedly, you have had moments in your life where you said, you know what, that sin that I am dealing with all the time, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm done with it. I am washing my hands of it. Jesus, help me to not do this anymore. And you've committed to it. You've even told accountability people to, hey, hold me accountable to this. I don't want to do this anymore. And you fail. And you've let yourself down. Where you've determined, you know, you're going to watch your mouth. I'm not going to complain all the time anymore. I'm going to go on a complaining fast. And it lasts about a day or two, right? Or I'm going to stop gossiping. Or I'm going to, you know, maybe things a little bit more damaging even. Where you've said, I'm, I'm going to stop. You know, you have an issue with looking at pornography. And you're like, I'm going to stop looking at that. And it lasts a little while. And then you end up going back to it. Where you find yourself failing over and over and over again. Which is pretty much what Paul is telling us in this passage. It's pretty much telling us that we will fail over and over and over again. And you see, this is the kind of thing that makes us feel bad on the inside, but on the outside, we are professionals at making excuses. I can make an excuse for anything I do that I know is something I shouldn't have done. I could say, oh, well, you know, with my windows, well, I just, you know, I just get so busy. You know, it's the busyness of life. It's, there's so many things, you know, and with the sin we deal with in our life, it's just culture has shifted and it's so hard to really live according to the tenets of the word of God in this culture we're in now. And there's so much working against me and I just don't have the brain space for some of these things. Can I tell you that Romans 7, what it shows us is that we don't have a culture problem. We don't have a busyness problem. We have a sin problem. Every one of us, church, every one of us has a sin problem in our life that causes us to continue to fail when we try to commit to things and we find ourselves back at the same place we were before we made this strong commitment in our life. Now, does this mean we shouldn't make any commitments or try to do anything? Absolutely not. That's not where I'm going with this. What I'm wanting to do today is to help us to realize that it is a matter of life and death for us to figure out what is happening inside of us and why this is such an issue in our life and understanding how we can walk victoriously even though we fail. Understanding Romans 7 is paramount in our life. And too many of us as believers don't really understand it. And so what we do is we feel, we just live our life feeling condemned. We feel bad about ourselves and then we get to where we just kind of can ignore it and it becomes a bigger problem in our life. Those, those sins that so easily entangle us. 
You see, if you've been in church for a long time, you know, you know all the, the good things we say about sin. We know what the Bible says that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. That I'm no longer a slave to the sin in my life. That I'm a new creation. That I've been raised with Christ. That I am, I, I am in my life, I have, I'm crucified with him. And sin has no rule over me in my life. I mean, we know all these things. Satan is under my feet. I am filled with the spirit. I am saved, sanctified, and spirit-filled in my life. And we know how to say all those things, and we know how to believe it, and that's a good thing. And we sing about it all the time. All the worship songs refer to that. You don't hear worship songs talking about how much sin I have in my life, because that's not really fun. But the reality is we have to understand what is going on inside of us so that we can live victoriously. And that's my goal today with us, to help us to understand that. You see, this passage in Scripture, Paul is, what he's saying is so, it's kind of shocking that you look at this guy that wrote a large portion of our New Testament who had an incredible revelation of Jesus. He saw Jesus face to face. He was, he was taken into the third heaven, the Bible says. I mean, I don't know if anybody on earth other than Jesus had more revelation than Paul did. Yet you have him standing here saying, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I just keep on doing them. I can't stop. It's the sin that's in me. And people have wanted to argue that, oh, Paul's talking about how it was before he got saved. This was his pre-salvation experience. And as much as that would be wonderful if that were true, it's not true. And frankly, the scripture doesn't even back that up. There's nothing to suggest that that's what was going on here. Plus, the reality is, for everyone that I've ever known that's, that's godly and loves Jesus and wants to live for Jesus. This passage in Romans 7 rings true. It rings true for me. When I look at that and I think when I want, really want to live my life for Jesus, I think of the things that I want to do that I don't do and the things that I don't want to do that I do and how they are constantly there in my life. They're constantly hovering around wanting to have place in my life. So when Paul says that, I'm someone who loves Jesus, it resonates with me. I meet with a group of pastors every week. We get together and we pray and we talk about church stuff, we talk about ourselves, and the guys that I'm with on Thursdays, they lament about stuff like this, about wanting to be better, wanting to be different, wanting to live in such a way that doesn't look like Romans 7. But the reality is, that's what life is. That's what all of us are dealing with in our life. Only the Holy Spirit inside of us can even make us feel this way. So of course Paul writing this is based on him and his salvation because before you're saved, before you love God, what do you care about sin? You don't care if you're not doing the things you want to do and not doing the things you should do when it comes to sin. I mean, there are, obviously there's, there's some things that the world would say are, is evil and sin and they want to stay away from that too, but those are typically things that hurt other people. You know, the world would say, you know, adultery is bad, that's a sin. You know, pedophilia is a sin. Human trafficking is a sin. Murder is a sin. Those all hurt other people. But the, sin, the things that don't hurt us, the world celebrates those. The world celebrates pride. Have some pride in your life. Stand up tall. You know, be, be proud of who you are. The world celebrates taking the Lord's name in vain. They don't care. But that's just as much of a sin as murder is in God's eyes. There's no levels it's, it's all sin. And so the world doesn't even understand sin. So if Paul wasn't saved here, he would have never said what he said. This is for somebody that knows Jesus and loves Jesus and wants to live for Jesus. That's even why he was able to say this in this passage. The reality is that we all have a sin problem. 
The, the bottom line is the, win, the reason my windows haven't been fixed yet is because sometimes I'm selfish with my time, with my money. Sometimes I'm thoughtless. Sometimes I can be careless in my life. Now, with windows, it's no big deal. But that's also the same reason. It's the same root in my life that causes me to not be able to eradicate insecurity out of my life. To not be able to get rid of the pride in my life. To not get rid of the need for, for adoration and wanting to be liked. It's the same root that we all have that causes those things in our life. And God's blessing for us in our life, church, it goes right through Romans 7. That's the blessing of God in your life. To understand Romans 7. You see, you hear a lot of sermons on Romans 8. Because Romans 8 is really cool. It's one of my favorite in all the Bible. It's many people's favorite. Because it talks about life in the spirit and what it looks like to live your life full of the spirit. But you know what? You can't get to that until you get through Romans 7, of realizing who you really are and how much you need him in your life. And next week, the plan is to preach on Romans 8, but I've got to get through Romans 7 first so we can understand who we are and who God is in our life. The experience Paul's talking about here is a vital part of our walk with Jesus. It is a, it is, you cannot pass over it if you want to have a healthy relationship with him. It reflects the experiences that we all have, but we rarely talk about in our life. So what I want to do is I want to unpack this passage a little bit for you, and I'm going to give you some of the struggles that we deal with through this passage, and I believe also the victory that we can live in our life, okay? You ready? Two of you are ready? Okay, good, good. Make sure you're awake. All right, the first struggle is the struggle to understand. It's the struggle to understand, to understand what is going on inside of us. It is amazing how many of us as Christians don't really understand what is happening inside. We know parts. We know that, you know, when you're saved, the Bible is very clear that when you give your life to Jesus and, and you surrender to him and you ask him to forgive you of your sins, he forgives you. He comes into your life and he puts his spirit inside of you, right? We, we know that. If you are a Christian here today, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Praise God. That's a wonderful thing. We know that. But beyond that, there's still a lot we don't really understand sometimes. But you're in good company because I'm going to read the first three verses of my text that I read when we started to show you that Paul's dealing with it too. In verses 15 to 17, look what Paul says. He says, I don't really understand myself. <laughs> Thank God, because I don't understand myself either. For, what I, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. This is proof, again, why he is a Christian already. It's, it's showing him that he understands. So I am not the one doing the wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. So again, here we have this incredible apostle, one of the greatest apostles to ever live, telling us he really doesn't get it. He said, you know, I want to do good, but I just don't get it. And on one level, there's an aspect where we'll, we're not gonna understand at all until we're with Jesus face to face. But there is an aspect where we can get understanding of what's actually going on on the inside, what we're actually dealing with so we know how to combat it in our life. Paul's not saying he doesn't understand that. He's just saying, I don't understand. It's tough for him because he understands too that he has the spirit of God, that he's full of the spirit. And he's, he's been able to pray for people and see people miraculously healed. Yet he's like, man, I still struggle with the sins that I've always struggled with. And when I want to do good, I don't do it. 
and it's hard for me because I know I love God and I know God is in me. Something we all deal with too, right? And Paul's saying here, he can relate to us. Paul shows us the struggle between the liberated mind that loves Jesus and the indwelling sin in the body of the believer. And he's laying it bare for all of us. What he's telling us is that there is a struggle going on inside of you. There is a war going on in your body, church. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is a war going on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and year after year after year after year after year. Until you leave this life and step into eternity, the war is going on and it is raging inside of you. That in a nutshell is why you still deal with the sin that you feel like you shouldn't have to deal with anymore because you have the spirit of God in you. Sin dwells in the life of every believer. Paul mentioned it at least five times in my text verse. He talks about the sin living inside of him. Again, a spirit-filled, born-again believer is talking about the sin that lives in him and how that sin has power in his life. He continually mentions it. He talks about it being in, present in the members of his body. It's inside. It's not something hanging out there that every once in a while gets a shot in on us. It's living in us because it's our flesh. It's our flesh nature that is completely opposed to God. It's exactly what he's talking about. And I know this messes with some of our theology because we want to think that when the Spirit of God is in me, how can sin live in there? The Spirit of God is so much stronger than any sin I have in my life. So it's easy for us to think, oh, I, I don't deal with that. Yet we all struggle with sin. So obvious, the obvious answer is if we really boil it down and look at it, it's obvious that there's sin in us. In fact, in our bodies, you can see it no matter how good of a person you are. The reason that your body gets sick is because of sin in it. The reason that your body grows old is because of sin in your body. It doesn't matter how much lotion you use, your skin is still going to wrinkle. Because of sin. Every time you see a new wrinkle on your face, you just get mad at sin, okay? The reason your body eventually dies is because of sin. Do you know the reason when we get to heaven we're going to live forever? It's because we're not going to have any sin. There's nothing to corrupt us anymore. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to live forever. There's not, no corruption. There's no sin left, so there's nothing to age us. And consequently, if there's no sin, we're all going to be the same height too, praise God. Just making sure you're listening. There is a very real part of you that is working overtime against the Holy Spirit inside of you. And church, you need to understand it. You need to know it. Knowing it is half the battle in this. In fact, Paul, just so you can understand that Paul wasn't just being emotional when he wrote this letter to the church in Rome, he also did it when he wrote to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 5, actually, which is, by the way, one of the best chapters in all the Bible, too, and it starts with one of the best verses in all the Bible, where he says it was for freedom that Christ has set you free, no longer to be subject to a yoke of slavery. Wow, worship songs written by that, about that verse, sermons preached on that verse. It is a beautiful verse, right? We are free. We are no longer subject to a yoke of slavery. 15 verses later, verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. He's telling us here, the flesh, you, sets its desire against the spirit of God in you. This is not for people that aren't Christians. This is for Christians. 
that it sets its desire. That term, sets its desire, that's the same word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. It's the word lust. It, it, he's, but in here, they, used to, they decided to translate it, sets itself against. So basically what it's saying here, if any of you have ever dealt with lust, which pretty much everybody has on some level or another, whether it's sexual, whether it's a, over material things, whatever it is, we've all dealt with lust. And the one thing we all know about lust is that when, it is, when we give into it, it is a powerful force in our life. It is an incredibly powerful force. It can make you do things you never dreamed you would do on the outside of that. That's what lust does. It's the same thing your flesh is doing against the spirit of God in you. Your flesh is passionately, aggressively lusting against the spirit of God in you, trying everything it knows to keep the spirit of God away from you. That's what the spirit of God already in you. That is the battle that is going on in each and every one of us. The flesh against the spirit. And if you want to bury your head in the sand and say, well, the spirit wins because I'm I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter, praise God, glory to God. All I listen to is worship music. I read my Bible every day. I don't, I don't deal with it. You want to deny it? Then you're going to be subject to that flesh the rest of your life because that is not the way to combat it. And I'll get into that in a minute. But the, the flesh is always working against the Spirit inside of you. Which leads me to the next struggle, which is the struggle to measure up. The struggle to measure up. This is one of the biggest struggles in the faith. I, I, don't, I don't think there's a person that has given their life to Jesus that has not struggled with wanting to measure up. And, me, and, and that feeling of not measuring up, the condemnation that comes from not measuring up is a very prominent vehicle for discouragement in the life of the Christian. It's a very, very strong, strong drive to discourage us because we don't understand why we can't measure up. Because I love God. I'm not a subject, I'm no longer subject to, to fear and sin in my life. Why can't I get victory over this? And we just, we know enough to know that it's a problem, but we don't know how to defeat it. And so we constantly live in condemnation because we don't measure up. And Paul tells us right here, he, he reads our mail, so to speak, in these next three verses out of my text in 18 through 20, because he tells us he's dealing with the same thing. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. How do we reconcile these repeated failures in our life? How do we reconcile it? Do we just try harder? Do we just get better? Do we just hang on and hope that one day that that the, the, the lust that I'm dealing with is just going to be gone? That one day I'm not going to be greedy anymore and I'm just going to all of a sudden flip a switch and I'm going to be generous? I'm, my anger is just going to evaporate one day. If I read my Bible enough, the anger is just going to dissipate and it's going to be gone and I'm going to be this easygoing person all of a sudden. How do we reconcile the repeated failures in our life? This is a, an incredibly important question that we have to be able to answer and understand because most of us in this room probably know somebody that hasn't been able to reconcile it and ended up walking away from the faith because they're tired of feeling like they don't measure up. You hear people say things like, you know, I just can't, I can't be like that. I can't live like Christians. You guys all seem to have it all together all the time because of course we Christians, we never actually share our sin with others. We just act like we got it all together because we assume everybody else has it all together. And so people that are really struggling feel like they're the only ones that don't have it all together. And so they eventually just cave in and they walk away. Maybe some of you here today or some of you listening online are going through that right now. 
where you're hanging on by a thread. You're so tired of feeling like, I just don't measure up. But you can't seem to figure out how to reconcile that in your life. And so you just don't know exactly what to do. But can I tell you today, church, and I hope this frees some of you, the people that have a long-standing, healthy relationship with Jesus are not the ones who sin the least. It's not the ones who have it all together. It's the ones who have learned how to reconcile their mistakes. And they don't let those things define them, but they allow those things to cause them to turn toward Jesus and not away. There's the reality for all of us is that the grace of God is abounding in such a way that we could never even comprehend how much grace he has. But we get in our heads sometimes, for some reason we think, but I've done this so many times. Lord, I've screwed up so many times doing this exact same thing. I just don't even feel right to even come back to you anymore. And so now it's, well, I gotta figure it out on my own. When the reality is Jesus is standing there saying, just give it to me, give it to me. You want a longstanding, healthy relationship with Jesus? It's not about stop sinning. It's about taking that sin to Jesus every single time. It's about letting him heal you of that. It's about experiencing his mercy. It's about experiencing his grace and learning that his grace is more than even just forgiving you. It'll actually be the power in your life to help you to walk away from those things too. That's what it looks like to have a longstanding relationship, not trying to figure out how can I measure up? How can I be better? How can I do more? How can I pay penance? How can I just look, in a, look away and look in a certain way that everybody else will think that I'm a strong Christian and maybe one day it'll seep in? That's not the answer. It's not the answer. Let me tell you, the, the fact that you feel bad about the things you do, when you feel bad that you don't measure up, it's actually a very good thing if it causes you to turn to Jesus. Because the fact that you, that you feel bad about it, that can be the conviction of the Spirit of God inside of you, trying to convince you to give it to him and to take it to him and to live for him. The struggle you have proves that you still have faith. Because I can tell you, people far from the faith, they have a different kind of freedom. They think it's freedom, it's actually bondage, but they don't have to care about any of that stuff. I just do whatever I want. If it feels good in the moment, I do it. If I want to get drunk four nights a week, get hammered, I, that's fine. If I want to sleep around all I want to do, it's no big deal. I'm not hurting anybody. And they think there's a freedom there, but it really puts you in a bondage. And so the Lord convicting you and making you feel a certain way about the sin in your life is actually a good thing. It's just important that we respond to it and not run from it. The reality is you will never, ever measure up. In church, that is okay. It's actually required that you understand that. The revelation that you will never measure up will change your life. I remember the moment in my life when it happened. I'm telling you, it was like it was yesterday and it was 25 years ago. I remember it. When I realized I was never, ever going to be good enough. And guess what it did? It didn't make me walk away and just do whatever I wanted to do. It actually made me live for Jesus even more. Because that revelation is what got me to a place where I realized how much I needed him. And I'll get into that in a minute too. So let me give you the last struggle today. It's the struggle to admit the truth. The struggle to be honest with ourselves, to admit the truth about who we are in this life. There are, there are three things you can do with your sin. Okay, I want to give you these three things you can do with the, the struggles in your life if you are a follower of Jesus. The first one is to be like a politician and deny it. Deny, 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 right? If you deny it long enough, 
And let me let me uh, let me just clarify. Not all politicians do that, <laughs> but that is a stereotype, of course. Um, Deny it long enough and you'll convince yourself that it's true. Deny that there's no issue long enough and you will start to believe it. But this is a scary place to be because what this does is it actually lets sin reign in your body. You're letting sin have its way in your body, pretending that there is no enemy, that your flesh is not an enemy in your life and that the sin is not a big deal is tantamount to actually rolling out the red carpet for the enemy in your life. Pretending it's not there is ludicrous in every area of life except for this for us. For some reason, we justify this. For some reason, we condone it and we actually perpetuate it. I mean, let's say, let's say tomorrow some foreign country started massing troops on our eastern coast, okay, Charleston, South Carolina. All of a sudden, they're coming in. You see ships coming. They're, ma- they're, they're getting, mobilizing thousands of troops that are on the shore right there, and it's obvious they're getting ready for an attack. And the next day, the president comes on the TV and says, hey, I know you're hearing these stories about all these, you know, these troops that are on the coast and battleships and planes coming in. Don't worry about it. Just ignore it. Act like they're not even there. In fact, we're not going to dignify their presence by even acknowledging they exist, which is exactly what we do with sin, isn't it? I'm not going to dignify it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pretend it's not there. And if we did that, if, if our president did that and he didn't mobilize and do some kind of a counteroffensive. we all know what would happen. In about a week, we'd be subjects of these, this country, whoever it is. I can tell you, me and my family would be on the first plane to Norway, but the U.S. would be in a lot of trouble if we decided to ignore our enemies. But yet we will do it. We will deny that it's really a thing when it comes to our sin. So that's the first thing we could do. The second thing is to try to deal with it on our own. Now, this is more of the mainstream Christian approach to our sin is to deal with it on our own. I think we've probably all done this at one time or another, maybe doing it right now, where we feel like if I could just grit my teeth, if I could just try harder, if I could just be more determined that I can quit doing this, that I can get this, I can get this freedom in my life that I'm looking for, I can get the clarity, I can, I can act the way that I'm supposed to act. This is a very common misconception for us in the church and us as Christians to just, well, I love Jesus, so the proper response would be to be the best I can be. And that's the, that's the primary and only motivation more so than actually letting Jesus lead us. And we try to do it on our own. And what happens with this is when you try to deal with your sin on your own and try to work real hard to conquer the sin in your life, you end up looking like the windows in my house. You get really beat up and really discouraged. And many times, oftentimes, people walking away from the faith. And then there's the third option, which is to admit it, which is this last struggle to admit the truth. The admission of truth and where we are and what we actually need is a big deal. Because this is when we can admit it, we can actually turn to Jesus and find the forgiveness and the power in our life to overcome sin. Not to completely eradicate it out of our life. You are never going to eradicate sin out of your life as long as you are a human being on this earth. But you can still live as an overcomer. You can still live victorious but it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit in you that only comes when we admit who we are and what we need. So let's look at how Paul did this. Paul said in uh, verses 21 to 23 of my text verse in Romans 7, he said, I've discovered this principle of life that when I wanna do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. So he loves God, but he still does what's wrong. But there is another power within me. This is why. 
This is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. There is a power inside of you that can still make you a slave to sin. Christians can be slaves to sin, church. You could be a Christian and be a slave to sin. You know, we want to talk about, we, we like to argue about whether or not Christians can have a demon. Can you be possessed by a demon as a Christian? Who cares? We don't need demons. Our sin, our flesh is bad enough. Our flesh can lead us to sin all day and all night. There is a power working in you that can make you a slave to sin even as a Christian. That's exactly what Paul is telling us here. We have to understand that. And, this, and then this is how we admit who we are God's way, the way that Paul did it. In the next two verses, 24 and 25, he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the admission. What a miserable person I am. Now you can read that and think, man, Paul was just, he was a really melancholy kind of guy, huh? He must have been really moody. Maybe he didn't get any sleep the night before. This is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Him saying how miserable of a person he is. That word miserable there, it means desolate. It means nothing. It means I am nothing. There's nothing in me that's good. There's nothing in me that can make me live victoriously over sin. Even in salvation, church, there's nothing in me, in my flesh, that can help me to live the way I'm called to live. It's, it's the, it's the, um, it gives you the perception of like a newborn baby that is completely dependent for everything in its life on someone else. That's who we are. Miserable and desolate. In fact, John, the apostle John, he used the exact same word that Paul used for miserable when he was rebuking the church of Laodicea in Revelations 3. In verse 17, look what he says. He says, you say, oh, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is truth that we need to understand, church. This can be a hard truth to understand. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you might be thinking, my gosh, this guy's beating these people up. I'm not pointing fingers and saying you guys aren't good people because I've seen you out in public and I've seen you in society here and I see how you treat other people and you're all terrible people. That's not what's happening here today. I don't have to know the first thing about any of you to know that you are not a good person because we don't have it in us on our own. There's nothing in us that can be good enough in light of who Jesus is. Yeah, you can be a functional person in society. You can be a, a good person by the world standards, but we're not looking for the world standards, are we? We're looking for God's standard in our life. So when we understand that, we get to the place that Paul says, I am wretched and miserable. What good is there in me? Who is gonna save me from this body? See, he sees himself for who he really is. And that needs to be our prayer, church. That's our prayer, to see ourselves for who we really are. Of all the revelations we wanna have, this should be at the top of the list. If you're like me, you've prayed for God to reveal his love to you. God, I want to see, I want a revelation of your love. Show me how much you love me because I feel like if I can see how much God loves me, that that's going to make me love him more. And there's some truth to that, right? It's, I've had moments where I've experienced his love in powerful ways and it just, man, it can make you weep. But let me tell you, you want to really understand the love of God in your life? Pray that he shows you how miserable you really are because that's, that's what opens the door 
to really being able to receive the love of God. See, you can't fall into this trap of thinking, well, I'm a good person, I just need salvation because I need to go to heaven. You need to understand that I'm actually not a good person. I am actually completely desolate in and of myself and I need him so desperately. That's when he comes in. When you realize how much you don't deserve his love and then you see that he still loves you, that's a powerful moment. That is a powerful moment in your life. When you realize, man, God, I really don't deserve your love. You are amazing in every way. You are perfectly holy. You are righteous. You are faithful. You are good. You've always been. You know everything about everything, and I'm nothing. And yet you still love me. You still gave your life for me. You still had me on your mind when you were on the cross. While I was still a sinner, while I was still worthless and desolate and nothing, you chose to die for me. That's when you start to understand the love of God. You know, if you're somebody that's, or you know somebody that's been in a situation where one spouse cheated on the other, and the, and the spouse that was cheated on had every right to walk out the door and leave that other person in the dust, but they said, nope, I'm staying. I forgive you. We're gonna move past this. We're gonna get through this. And the marriage stays together and it gets stronger than it ever has been. I can tell you from the people that I've talked to and experience I've talked to, that when, when, when that person that had the right to leave actually stays, the love of the first person goes through the roof because you realize that person did not have to continue to love you. They had every right in the world to walk out. They, had, they could have done whatever they wanted to and no one in the world would have condemned them for it. Yet they chose to stay and love you. And man, that opens the floodgates in the heart of understanding why wow, that person had no reason to love me yet they still chose to. That's what it is with God. That he has, he has even more reason to walk out on you. You didn't just cheat on God. You actually nailed him to a cross is what you did what every one of us did, yet he still chooses to love us. We spit in his face every single day of our life, every time we give in to pride, every time we give in to lust, every time we give in to greed, every time we give in to selfishness, every time we give in to all those other things, we are spitting in his face, yet he still loves us. Still loves us. He says there is nothing in this world that can separate you from my love. And when you realize how little you deserve it, wow, wow, everything changes. Everything changes in our life. And when we admit it, it turns us to dependence. When we actually admit that we're not good enough, that we can't do it on our own, that I can't defeat sin on my own, that I'm actually desolate and I'm powerless against that sin nature inside of me, it actually creates a dependence in us. And you can actually brag about your weakness. That's why Paul said in Corinthians, he said, if I'm gonna boast about anything, I'm boasting about my weakness. Sounds crazy to us until you have a revelation of how desolate you really are. Until you understand that God's strength, the spirit of God, his strength inside of you that's warring against that flesh, his strength is limited until you accept your weakness. Until you embrace your weakness and allow him to be strong in you. As long as you're struggling and fighting and trying to do it on your own, you're actually limiting the spirit of God in you. And I know that can be counterintuitive too because you think, man, the spirit of God is in me. Just take over, God. I'm letting you take over. That's not how he works. He doesn't take over anything. He's not making me move my arms right now. I'm choosing to do that. He doesn't take over our body. He, he dwells inside of us. And when we surrender our, our things to him, that's when he is empowered in our life. That's why the flesh inside of you can be more powerful than the spirit of God inside of you because it's all about your choices. It's about, could, could he just overtake you and do whatever he wants? Of course he could. That's not how he works. That's not how the Bible even shows us how he functions. He works within our choices he works within our willingness to surrender our lives to him, to live for him, to be dependent upon him. 
That's when the power of God comes in to our life. And it is only on the other side of understanding how miserable I really am. Embrace your misery, church. Embrace your spiritual misery. And God will come in and you will see the power of God in your life like you've never seen it before. I want to read something that I, I read this week. And I just, I loved it. And it says exactly what I want to say in closing. And so I'm just going to read it to you. It says, God wants you to contend with sin because it's meant to drive you into the arms of Jesus. The struggle doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. God intends for you to struggle with sin so that in your struggle, you would be stripped of your self-reliance and begin to trust in God and God alone. Praise God. I'm gonna read that one again. God intends for you to struggle with sin so that in your struggle, you would be stripped of your self-reliance and begin to trust in God and God alone. Does the fact that you struggle make you a failure? Nope. Does it make you a bad person? Nope. Does it make you a loser? Nope. Does it make you a substandard Christian? Nope. Doesn't do any of those things. Do you know what it makes you? It makes you an excellent candidate for the grace of God in your life. That's what it does, church. But it's up to you if you're gonna to turn towards that grace or if you're gonna to continue to struggle on your own trying to figure this out. There is an enemy inside of you that wants to destroy you. And he's not afraid of the spirit of God in you unless you are surrendered to that spirit. You can be a slave to sin and be a Christian your whole life. Now, will it keep you out of heaven? Not necessarily. But who wants to live that way? We're called to live free. We are free. We're called to live that way. We're called to live victoriously. We can live victoriously and still have some sin in our life. There's nobody that's lived completely sinless except Jesus. So there's no chance for you either. Sorry to break it to you. But you can still live in victory. You can still thrive in your life, in your relationship with him. The, the, the difference is when you, when you do succumb to that sin in your life, you don't deny it, you don't ignore it, you don't try to deal with it on your own, you don't try to measure up, you admit it, you look at it, you tell Jesus about it, you let him forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and then you let the power of God come into your life, the grace of God that really is power to help you to live for him. At the end of the day, that's the win, church. Stand with me, please. Praise God. I wanna pray for us this morning, this afternoon. Let's pray together. I wanna to invite you to the altar. Listen, if you, if you want God to reveal to you how miserable you are, come on, front. let's go, let's pray. Let's just pray. I, I struggle with it just as much as anybody, church, where I feel like I'm pretty stinking good sometimes. I mean, God, look at me. I, I've said to God myself with my mouth, God, I've given up so much to serve you and follow you, as if that impresses him. And I immediately need to be reminded, no, actually you're miserable. You're desolate. You're a little tiny little infant that can't do a thing without me. That's what we need to know. That's the revelation we need in this life. And, and church, I've had the revelation I told you 25 years ago, and I have to come to him all the time to be reminded of it. I have to come to him almost daily to be reminded of how desolate I am. Because it doesn't matter how hard you try, the pride still wants to come back in. Like, man, I, I could pat myself on the back. Man, I gave up a... I gave up a really good, successful business to go into ministry. Hey, man, God, I know you're patting me on the back right now if you could. And I start to think about myself and what I'm doing. Man, I'm, I'm pretty disciplined. I'm, man, I, I read my Bible a lot. I, I, like, I pray a lot. I'm a good person. My, my wife loves me. My kids are good and, and healthy and solid. And man, God, I'm just doing a good job. 
And I need to be reminded, no, actually, anything good in your life is because of my blessing. It's because of my grace. You don't deserve any of it. You actually deserve to be in hell with the, de- with the demons is where you, what you deserve. It's because of his love and his grace in my life that I have any blessing and being reminded that I'm desolate. And again, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, this could sound like, man, Christians are crazy. Talk about how horrible you are. But when you have the spirit of God in you, it actually makes a lot of sense because you really understand that it's not about me. It's about him. And the less there is of me, the more room there is for him in my life. To grab one thing, you have to let go of something else. It's the only way to get it. But for those of us that are followers of Jesus in this place, let's pray. Let's ask God to reveal himself to us. Reveal ourselves to us, I should say. To reveal it so we can know it in our knower. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Romans 7. Lord, we love Romans 8 because it's a lot of fun. But we know we only get there through Romans 7 and understanding what a miserable person I am. I'm so thankful for this, chat, this passage. And, and Paul doesn't stay there. He doesn't just say, oh, I'm miserable, poor me. This isn't him wallowing in self-pity. This is him having a revelation of who he is because he says, who's gonna save me? And he says, thank God. It is found in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Lord, I thank you today that there is a, there's a pathway to victory in our life. And it is not a formula. It is not a task. It is a person. And we thank you that it is in the name of Jesus that we can walk in victory. I pray for every person at this altar today, Lord, that you would help us to walk in the victory that you paid for us to have, Lord. That you would reveal to us, Lord, our own hearts, reveal ourselves to us, Lord, so we can see that we are wretched, that we are miserable, that we are desolate, that we are infants that are in desperate need of a God to come in and help us and take over. God, we wanna lay down our flesh. We want to crucify our flesh daily. God, reveal it to us, the importance of it, so that we can walk in the freedom that you paid for us to have. Thank you for the freedom we have in Jesus. Thank you that, that we are a new creation, that even though the sin is still there, we, Romans 6 tells us the sin is still there, but we don't have to let it reign in our body. It doesn't rule anymore. Before we knew you, it ruled the day. It ruled our lives. Now it doesn't rule, but it's still there. We are not subject to it. We don't have to give place to it and help us to walk in that newness and that freedom that you designed for us, God. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for showing me so many times in my life, Lord, that I'm spiritually desolate without you, that there's nothing I can do apart from you. And Lord, that I can boast in my weakness. Help us, Lord, to boast in our weaknesses, to boast in our lack of strength, to boast in our complete and utter dependence upon you, Lord, and that we would not rely on our own righteousness. We know your word tells us that our righteous deeds are as disgusting, filthy rags to you, that it means nothing to you. It's basically garbage. What is good is a heart given to you. So Lord, we give you our hearts this morning. We give you our hearts. Come into every area, Lord, where we have sinned, where we have given in, Lord, would you forgive us? I thank you today that your word is so clear that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, not only to forgive us, not only to not count it against us, but to wash us completely clean. We praise you for that, Jesus. Thank you that the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We love you and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Praise God. Yes, praise the Lord.
Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Yes, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done, God. Hallelujah. Bless your name. Praise God.